Hello, everyone. Good to see you. And if you don't know me, I'm Tom. I'm the vicar. And I was just thinking about, it's funny, isn't it, how, you know, sometimes you can say something that really changes the atmosphere of a situation, you know? Like I was thinking about when we were on holiday, we were catching a ferry from Wales across to Southern Ireland. And that we were, it, was, it was a heat wave. It was unbelievable. And um, the ferry's about to take off and... We're all on the deck, and my son says in a really loud voice, he says, how did the Titanic sink? <laughs> and like you could just see people looking around, and they were just... Some people look, obviously maybe triggered by that, their anxiety around being on the water. Some, but it's just that moment, isn't it? Like, and I hope, to them, I hope today it brings us some encouragement, because <laughs> when I've shared this and th- some of the thoughts I've been reflecting on... It hasn't, it, by judging by people's faces, it hasn't always had that kind of sinking feeling, not the Titanic, but it's that sense of a reflection. Because today kicks us off in a journey, I think, about where it is, hopefully, we're going to head in the next couple of years as a church family, but, but beginning to think about what are the attributes of life as a church family? How do we, we talk a lot about family in the church, what, you know, we're a part of a family, but what does, that, what does that really mean? Because when we, when we drill down into it in the scriptures, it's, it's actually pretty challenging. I've, I've read a little bit over the last couple of weeks and I've been thinking about it. I'm like, wow, yeah, that does pack a bit of a punch. <laughs> what does that really mean? And so today I want us to kick us off to think about why. What, why are we here? Why are we doing what we're doing? Why has God called us for this time in this city, at this cultural moment And how do we respond? And why I think understanding afresh, why understanding ourselves as a family is absolutely vital. That's that's in my mind where I think that we're going. I hope that we absolutely get there. And I want to kick off um, reading from the book of Romans, if I can. If you've got a Bible with you, if you could turn to it, that would be awesome. So we're going to look at Romans chapter 12. And this, is, this struck me a couple of months ago when um, our wonderful worship leader, where has he gone? I don't know. He's outside probably having a fag. <laughs> so I've done that joke before. Um, he got married. And uh, I was very honoured to be able to, to, to do the wedding, which is a great, it's always, a, I love doing weddings. It's an absolute joy. And it was an absolute joy for me because um, Sam's parents were part of the youth team when I was a kid about um, 10 years ago now. And uh, so it was a great sense of occasion, but it's also really special because all of a sudden there are people that I haven't seen for 20 odd years. And of course, they'd all seem to look a lot older than me. I'd stayed exactly the same. But it's really, and hopefully I'll say why that was really important but it struck me particularly, there's a couple of verses that really arrested my attention. And I'll really just love to read those out to us now. I'm going to read from verse 3, but we're really looking at the first couple of, actually verses 9 through to 12. They're the ones we're going to be focusing on, but I want to just give a little bit of the context if we can. For by the grace given me, I say to every one of you, do not think of yourself more highly than you ought. But rather think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the faith God has distributed to each of you. For just as each of us 
has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function. So in Christ, though many form one body, and each member belongs to all others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesy, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it's teaching, then teach. If it's to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it's to lead, then do it diligently. If it's to show mercy, do it cheerfully. Then he goes on in verse 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil, cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in love. Honor one another above yourselves. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with the Lord's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. And there's a particular verse, verse 10, we, we're going we're gonna, uh, gonna to unpack we're going to jump around some of, some of the scriptures, um, which I hope will be a bit of a lightning tour, but I hope it will make some sense of what it is I think the Lord might be saying to us. And I always say that with some degree of trepidation, because it's just my interpretation. It, I, it, I don't know, I could be totally wrong, but I just sense that might be what it is the Lord's wanting to say to us. One of the things that struck me when the news came out about the death of the Queen was that what an, yet another moment this is in the life of our nation. And this is the kind of titanic moment it could be, like when you list all of the cultural things that have happened over the last couple of years. Like if I can think, we moved, Chris and I and the kids, well, our two kids then, Phoebe came along while we lived in Sheffield. When we moved back to Sheffield in uh, early part of 2016, um, some monumental things. There was a, a vote to leave the European Union. Uh, Donald Trump became president of the USA. You might not know that name, but um, he certainly made a splash, whatever your politics is. Um, then there are other things that have happened in the non It's become more clear to us that there is the, the awareness around environmental and ecological disaster and global warming and all these kinds of things. Am I cheering everybody up right now? Yeah, okay, should we keep going? And then um, you've got 2020, a little thing, little thing kicked off in China, affected the world, COVID-19, remember that? Yeah, okay, you guys are with it. And then remember the masks? Do you remember the lockdown? Remember though, I can remember watching the telly um, when Boris Johnson said it's all going to be locked down. And then for some of us, we entered into the new world called homeschool. Who would love to go back to homeschool? <laughs> okay, there's a couple of people praying, uh, got their hands up, so we will pray for you now if that's okay. And then there was other things like the, the death of George Floyd, which awakened many people to the reality of racism, institutional racism. And that was very painful for people in our church family. And we've been on a journey learning how we can learn from each other and how we can make changes. And then the pandemic came back a few times in different places. There were other lockdowns. Everybody encouraged? Balcony, you encouraged? I've got a real gift. I'm still going. And then, of course... In, uh, earlier this year, the President Putin started to gather the, his troops on the edge of Ukraine. And people thought, will he? Won't he? No, he wouldn't. And he did. And so for many was this, not seeing anything like this before, just these relentless 
things that have happened for lots of people. And you might think, well, actually, I'm fine. None of those things have particularly affected me or you. But they've become, they've created this collective angst, I think, that lots of people live with. Certainly the conversations I've had, particularly people, less so much school gates now because our kids are a little bit older and we just drop them off. But I can remember in the early days, there was this, oh, man, is it ever going to end? This kind of feeling of heaviness that people feel. Certainly in conversations with neighbours, it's a thing to talk about. And then the Queen passing away, what it seems to me one of the kind of pinch points for the nation is here is a consistent voice for 70 years who has been above politics and who has spoken in particular ways often, more latterly, about her very vibrant Christian faith. Praise God, hallelujah. But she's been a consistent voice. And for some, the sense of grief they feel is that that voice has gone. So what do we do with all of that? I don't know what that was. So I'd love us to jump, if I can, to Jeremiah chapter 29. <laughs> and if you've been around a while, we've done this to death. So I kind of feel we can just do it one more time. What can we do, folks? Well, one of the things that we can do is love our city. And it felt a couple of, about a year or so ago, or certainly when I was praying, when we were wrestling, Lord, are you really calling us to to do, you're calling me to be the vicar God, was that the Lord took me into, um, on a retreat into the city centre, and I wandered around, um, all around Park Hill Flats, if you know that, around the city centre. It was a day that had been snowing up here, so I was wearing those snow boots. When I got into the city centre, nothing. You know, that happens in Sheffield, doesn't it? And uh, my feet got some blisters, but I walked quite a long way. But I was praying for the city of Sheffield that somehow we might become a church that is and was that loves this city deeply. And we might love this city so much so that, that, we'll, that we will send out teams to graft or to plant churches in different places. And if you were here last week, we cheered on Gareth Ingle and the team that are living in Fervale. Some are moving there in a beautiful part of the city of Sheffield, and they're going to love it, and they're going to pray for the kingdom of God to come and believe that God, by his presence, is going to change lives dramatically in that place, and that whole part of the city will change because God's people are there. And where God's be there, and other churches, well, not just us, but when God's people there, there are people of hope. And where there are people of hope, God is moving. And so our hope is that over the next few years, we'll send out other teams of people to other parts of the city of Sheffield who will go there and will love it. And where all of that is rooted from is in the Old Testament, in the book of Jeremiah. And I'm just going to read it. It's familiar for some, but for some might not have heard it for a while. So I'm going to say it again. It's Jeremiah chapter 29. And it's probably worth saying super quick, the context is the people of God have been taken from the relative comfort and identity of their home city, Jerusalem. Jerusalem, the epicenter of Jewish life. And in that place, Nebuchadnezzar, who is the kind of Emperor of Babylon decides to take the very cream of the elite crop from Jerusalem against their will and makes them go and live in Babylon. 
And so as they find themselves in Babylon, it must have been a terrible trauma. It must have been so disheartening. It must have been a journey that's full of Greece, forced to travel the hundreds of miles to a city that you cannot stand. A city that stands for everything that you live in direct opposition to. A city that celebrates the things, oh, they just turn your stomach. And that's where you've been placed. And there was a man, a spiritual man, who said he'd heard from God. And he said, you know, guys, we're only going to be here for two years. Two years, folks, is a long time. But, it's, but, but it's, you can survive it. And so the people of God were kind of living out of suitcases. You know, if you ever go away for a couple of days, I never, you just think, I won't bother in the hotel. I won't bother to take out the stuff, and put, I'll just leave it in the bag. Or maybe you're one of those people who think, I'm only here for a night, but I'm going to lay all out my stuff. I don't know, whichever personality you are, I'm a leave it in the bag guy. No? Okay. So they stayed, thinking, I'll be here for two years. And not only did they stay, but they lived on the very edge of the city. And they just kind of huddled together for safety. Do you know what I mean? Like, we can survive this. It's like camping. You don't really like it, but you do it. Do we have to eat pasta again? Yes, you do. (laughs) We're just going to eke out. We're going to survive. We're going to live with this temporary mindset because we're only here for two years. So they didn't connect with anyone, just lived a life of survival, waiting for it to go, because one day it's all gonna go. Two years. And Jeremiah the prophet writes to them and said, there's good news and there's bad news. The good news is the Lord reigns. And there's an amazing verse, verse 11, which is often attached to people's fridges. And it says, for I know the plans I have for you. Oh, we love that bit, don't we? Plans to prosper you, not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Listen to this, verse 12. Then you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all of your heart. Two years, and then you've got that. And he writes to me, and said, the Lord reigns, and I'm going to encounter you. It's going to be beautiful. But the, that's the good news. The bad news is you've got to stay 70 years. 70 years. You've got to be kidding me. And then he doesn't just say that. He says this. He says, he says this. God, the Israel says to all those I carried into exile. It's like, well, this situation is terrible. You didn't choose it. You don't want it. It's hard to survive right now. It makes absolutely no sense. But, but Jeremiah says, I, the God who carried into exile, carried you into exile, that in the midst of this crazy situation that makes no sense, that God somehow is in it, working through it, And then he says this, build houses and settle down, plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and daughters and give your daughters in marriage. So firstly, he's saying, settle. Yeah, but (laughs) we don't want to be here. Like I was thinking today, I was walking the dog um, past some of the halls of residence, Ranmore, and lots of parents dropping off their kids. And you can tell there must be people from down south because there's like big four by fours. I'm joking. 
I'm joking. We get them in Shefford too. It's just a little joke. You're very welcome here if you've got a four by four. I just encourage you that we do have a bowl on the table for any before you leave. It's like a tax, a tithe tax for four by fours. It's all for the environment, really is. And um, that sense in which you can see the excitement and, and the tears in the eyes of parents. And, but there's a choice that every young person needs to make. Is, are you going to settle in the city? Are you going to make it your home? And there's a, there's, there's, they've been through this torrid time, and yet the word of the Lord is settle, even if it's, don't, if it's not where you want to be. Settle. And then it says, build houses and settle down. And what struck me, I think, reading this afresh in the last week or so, is actually, when you're in a place that you don't want to be, the last thing you want to do is step out into invulnerability. I don't. I, I like to protect myself, and I use humor for that. You might have spotted that. It's brilliant. I'm doing some seminars on it. How to keep people at bay using humour. It's going very well on YouTube, folks. Is that you, Lord, or is it Siri? <laughs> I'm absolutely relieved that Siri is with us. There you go. That's it. It's amazing, isn't it? Don't worry, Kate. Be, be, be blessed. It's fine. It's happened, to the, it's happened to the best of us. It really has. Actually, it hasn't, but I'm just going to make you feel better. No, no, it's fine. <laughs> I'm joking. You know, in a place where, you, where it's me, I, if it's, I, I don't want to do that. And yet the call is to build houses and, and plant a garden. Well, why is that so hard? I'll tell you why it's so hard. Because if you built a house in a place that's not your home, in an alien place, there's a strong possibility somebody's going to come along and take investing your money in your Come and take it in the same way you could. Somebody else could come and trash it. But there's something that's about building. A place they don't want to be. So that someone. Built when you grow a garden. You're growing a garden. But the benefit of other people. And then he goes on to say, Jeremiah. So he says this, seek. Why would you want a city that is not good to prosper? And then he says this, pray to the Lord for it, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. It's what Timothy Keller, one of my heroes, and um, I have two heroes, or if some, in terms of two kind of people that I listen to. I listen to Bill Johnson from Bethel on a very regular basis, and he's on one end of the spectrum, and I listen to Timothy Keller on the other, and I'm kind of land in the middle, theologically. But he talks about the common good, that the people of God who are settled in, Jer- in, in Babylon are to love the city with such a love that they are to be a blessing. And why is that? Because we see at the beginning of Scripture that the people of God, the commissioning to Abraham, who becomes Abraham, is to be a covenantal people. And as they step out, they are to be a blessing to the nations. As they walk with God, there is always a heart to bring blessing and life to other people. 
And so in Babylon, in a place that they don't want to be, in a time they didn't choose, the call of the Lord is to be a blessing. And as they're a blessing, they are pointing to him. A couple of, uh, about a month or so ago, it might be two months ago now, James, who you saw in the video, who is um, married to Rachel, found this. It's a welcome card. Um, it's pretty old, folks. I think it must be. It's, a, it's kind of retro. I know that's kind of, it's come back now, isn't it? But it says this. Welcome to St. Thomas's Church, Crooks, United Anglican Baptist Church. It must be, I don't know, 35, 40 odd years old. And this is what it says. St. Thomas Church family is seeking to move out with the good news of Jesus in love, boldness, and the power of God to the surrounding community, city, and the world. See, the call of the Lord on the church hasn't changed. The seasons change. The leaders change. I felt the Lord just whisper in the spirit. See, it's not all new, is it? He's been doing this a lot longer than I have, praise the Lord. So the people of God, in these difficult circumstances, are called to step into building a house, loving a city you don't want to be, you don't like, you don't want to be there. And that is incredibly vulnerable. I had a conversation this week with two, two folks who um, have uh, worked in missions. Uh, one guy described to me the feeling of getting off the aeroplane in the country that the Lord had them work in with a newborn baby and just the sense of vulnerability. Another guy described working in the inner cities with dealing with all kinds of stuff and the sense of vulnerability. It is the vulnerability, is the exposure to risk. It is the underbelly of faith that we have, that we're called to step into. It struck me as I read Acts chapter 8 after Stephen is stoned and the church disperse. And as we read that, it's like this amazing opportunity, the church comes alive. But you think, what must that have been like to be taken? Again, it's, it's in the narrative of Scripture, being taken to a place you didn't choose. And in the place that you didn't choose, the place that is exposing and difficult, the core is to step into who it is that God's wired you to be. It's incredibly challenging. And so why, why, why the call for vulnerability... How do we meet that in church family? In Romans chapter 12, in this kind of, towards the end of Rome, it's towards the end of Romans, there's this kind of break in this, theolo this theological tome that Paul is writing. And in that moment, he begins to describe what it looks like to live for God. And there's a this kind of linchpin verse, it all hangs on. Let me find it. Just We've read it earlier, but it's important, I think, just to go back to it. And this is what it says. It says, love must be sincere, hate what is evil, cling to what is good, be devoted to one another in love, honor one another above yourselves. When it says here to be devoted to one another, it actually comes from a Greek word. This is philos storgos means to be cherished one's kindred. It's describing the familial relationship that a parent has for a child. And here's the thing, folks. As the people of God in Jeremiah 
as Jeremiah calls them, to love Babylon, they are being called in that moment to step into their God-given identity, which is to be a blessing to the nations, but to represent him. As we encounter Jesus Christ, we recognize, you know, I used to not like looking in the mirror. Now when I look in the mirror, I just see Jason Statham, and I think, wow. <laughs> it's a joke. Part of the fact that God restores us, that he heals us of our sin and our brokenness, is that as we begin to recognize that we are healed, to, uh, and as we're healed, we are walking in our calling to be his representative, an icon. We're made in the image of God. And that's a profoundly amazing thing. It means that tomorrow, when you go to work, the present, if the presence of God is with you, there is something different about you. You might feel terrible. You might be blessing Jesus that somebody has not bought the tea bags in the office. But there'll be something about you which is different, and that something is him residing in you. You can't force it. You can nurture it. But it is there by the gift and grace of Jesus Christ. There is just something different. That people will see something in you different. And that is his presence residing within us. The Apostles Paul vision of the church is to begin to see ourselves as family. Where the philostorgos, that we are cherished and love each other. It is the place where we are known and we are seen. And here's the thing when we talk about church as family. It's the place that we are known and we are seen. As a parent of young children, this is what I've discovered. There is no peace or privacy. Because you can be on the toilet with the door locked and somebody's hammering on the door. Or try, you, can see, you, can, you can see the door handle going. I need to come in, bang, 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 bang. Now, I realize as kids get older, they begin to want more privacy. But here's the thing, my kids see me when I'm a grumpy person. Because we're seen, right? When a family, you're seen. You know, like, you, you can't hide who you really are. And that's one of the beauties of family, isn't it? It's, one of the, it's also one of the frustrations of family. Like, you don't get to choose your siblings, <laughs> Praise God. You know, like, and then you've got siblings that get married, and maybe you join a family WhatsApp group. Hallelujah. Aren't they just a source of joy? You just praise Jesus. I'm just so delighted that you're in Legoland for the fourth time. It's just the absolute, well, I'm just blessed. You've got another car. Hallelujah. Just pray blessing on you. That's awesome. And you've got a pay rise. Wow. Praise. Or you like eating food that I can't even pronounce. Don't say we're at McDonald's, whatever you do. Good night. It's like this is kind of weird thing, isn't it? Like where one hand family is amazing because you're seen and you're known. You can't hide it. And then on an, another sense, you're with people that you're totally different to. I so how does that work? You don't choose your siblings. How does it all work? The Apostle Paul, in his letter to the Romans, describes the sense of love 
that he's present when God's people meet. And then he says this, that we are to practice philoxenia, hospitality. And what that means is to, to invite people who are totally different to us. There's a beautiful passage in Luke chapter 15 called The Prodigal Son, and I'm not going to go into it all. But essentially, there's two brothers at odds with each other. The younger brother wastes everything. He lives a crazy life. He pursues pleasure. He pursues money, and his life crashes terribly. And in the end, what happens, he runs home, and there's a picture of a father who loves him so deeply he is waiting for him. It is an exact example of the storge love, philos storge that love that the, the Apostle Paul is describing, a deep love. And when the father sees him, he, he, he runs to him in a culture that a man would never, ever run in a way like that. And he puts his arms around him and they weep and they're reconciled. He sees him for who he is. He sees the mess of his life. But the boy cannot hide it. It's this beautiful image, isn't it, in the, in the, in the, um, in the beginning of the Bible, in the, in the garden. When sin enters in, Adam and Eve cover themselves with figs, whatever, whatever the actual leaf they use. And we've been covering ourselves ever since. Just use Instagram now. Or family Facebook group, uh, family WhatsApp groups. So, 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 but this guy can't cover. He can't hide who he is. And he's welcomed home. And then there's the older brother in the prodigal son, and the older brother hates the younger one. The chalk and cheese. They just, they've got nothing in common. They just don't get on. And he's a stiff ass religious. What's it? He's a subject. He's the guy you would not want in your small group. Honestly, he isn't. He has no fun in his life. He'd probably be seriously intense. And he would know the Greek past participle for whatever it is you're talking about. Maybe you had a bad night or you had one too many beers. You wouldn't say in front of this guy because the judgment you would feel, oh my goodness, I was that guy for a long time. And you know, he's as lost as the other one. He just thinks he's right. The younger son knows that he needs grace because life's tanked. The older one thinks he's above it because he doesn't need God. He's doing all right, thank you very much. But they're both lost. And the father, in, we're told in Luke chapter 15, sees both of the boys and extends grace and love to both. The apostle Paul is using that as a description of the love of a family. And it means this, that you and I are always true. We never graduate from the gospel, folks. The good news of the reality of Jesus Christ who died for our sin, what does that mean? When the gospel searches our hearts and realizes that we are placing our faith in idols, or we're placing our identity in anything that isn't God, the gospel comes knocking on the door and Jesus says, I have a better life for you. Will you trust me? Will you, will you give everything over in your life to me? Will you surrender your life to me? 
And I will do amazing things through you and in you. I will change your life. We never graduate from the gospel. So what does that all mean for us in our city? Well, I'll tell you what it means for our church. It means I think that the Holy Spirit wants to take us on a journey where we move from transactional into the deep father heart grace of God. What does that mean? It means in a church like us who's been very successful over many, many years and particularly have been very, very successful with clusters and mission, what I'm noticing as I'm talking to people, a similar pattern around burnouts. We've been very good at counting people. Hallelujah. And as somebody once said to me in America, there's a book in the Bible called Numbers. Okay. Okay. But the transactional nature means that I do this for you, you do this for me. And I'm hanging with you, but I don't necessarily love you. You are a task that I am now doing stuff to. Do I really want you to come and join my community? Well, you know, you'll mess it up. So I'm just going to do stuff to you once a month, tick off the box, and carry on with my life. But actually, what Paul is describing is a community of hospitality where the people sat next to you are nothing like you. And actually describes a community where new people are coming all the time. Yeah, but they'll mess it up because we've got to know each other really well and we share very intimately our lives. We don't want new people coming in because, well, do you know what? This is about the grace and love of God and we're to have a, always have an empty chair so that somebody else new can come in and experience the beauty and the wonder and the grace of Jesus. And if our hearts are hardened to people who are not our friends or our in-groups, we might need to come back to Jesus and confess the hardness of our hearts. Because if our communities aren't growing, there's a problem. Because here's the thing, there are new people coming into our church week after week after week after week. Question is, are our hearts open to embrace them or not? Is the temperature dropped or is it just me? And I think the Spirit's drawing us back. And here's why. Um, I, I really hoped that we could... Lord, we, I think clusters have been amazing, folks, for a long time. And in my heart, I really wanted to launch something called house churches. Thank you. <laughs> now, here's the thing. House churches are not new. They've been around for a long time. In fact, they were around... Uh, I didn't invent them at all. They're, they're in the book. <laughs> For the first 300 years, the church grew phenomenally through houses dedicated to God. They were sometimes known as houses of prayers. Actually, they were rooted in the synagogue movement for the first 300 years. If you want to geek it up, I would gladly talk to you about the house synagogue movement. But you know what I noticed when I started to, I, I kind of, I started to chat to some people and say, hey, what, what about if we call it house churches? And I noticed a repeating um, pattern. People just looked a bit like, ah. Oh. I'm just, I'm just worn out with all that stuff. So we're not going to call them house churches, folks. And I'll tell you why. We can come up with a whole new structure, and we can do a big launch with PowerPoint presentation. Actually, I don't really do PowerPoint presentations. Rachel, you'd be doing a PowerPoint presentation. And we could say it's going to be this, it's going to be this, it's going to be this, it's going to be this. And six months in, we might say, well, this is just no different. They've rebadged it. It's exactly the same. Unless the Spirit of God 
does something in us and through us. It has to be the Spirit of God that softens our hearts to welcome in people who don't look like us. It has to be the Spirit of God that opens our hearts and awakens our hearts to the reality that we have neighbors around us who are far from him. It has to be the Spirit of God that lets us begin to look at our homes a little differently so they're no longer a castle to keep people out, but they have an open door to welcome people in. It can only be, folks, the Spirit of God that does it. It doesn't matter if you have PowerPoints, it could be a new strategy, but it has to be the gospel of Jesus capturing our hearts, calling on the power of the Holy Spirit. Our church was birthed with a passion for communities. The the calling has not been lifted off our church for that, folks. We will do something new in this next season. They may just be called communities. But here's the thing. Over the next season, we will be pursuing the presence of God to say, Holy Spirit, what is it that you want our communities to look like? Let me give you a clue. And this is where they might feel very similar to what they're for. There will always be a space for the outsider. Because that seems to me to be in the book. It seems to me to reflect the heart of God. There will always be a place to wait on the Holy Spirit, to pray. Not to add on prayers at the end to keep it legal. Oh gosh, we better pray. We've chatted a lot. But to set aside time. There will be times when we break bread to remember that we were far from him once. And he welcomed us home in the grace of Jesus. There'll be groups, there could be 10, 20 people piled into a house. And there'll be times when we come together to study the scripture, to pour over it, to say, Jesus, what are you saying to us? It will look and sound very much similar to it has been before, but it will be for the new season. Because, folks, let me tell you, there's a generation of young people who have arrived in our city today, and they don't know this book as well as some of us in the room. They don't know the ways that many of us have been brought up with. And we have to take all that God has given us and pass it on to the generations below. We have to embrace the fact that we are not a club. And a club works like this. Can you imagine being in the golf club and someone coming up to you, Tim, I just want to talk to you about the way you're living your life. You'd swing your, you'd swing your driver out there, wouldn't you? Say, Who are you speaking to my life? That's not the church of Jesus. The church of Jesus is that we are a family. And the thing about family is you know what's going on in somebody else's life. The church of Jesus is that we are loving one another, standing with one another. Romans 12, I'm preparing a sermon for Sam Watson's wedding. And um, as I saw all those folks who are my youth leaders all those years ago, I was reminded that as a very miserable, unhappy teenager, they saw me, warts and all, and said, you're loved. They extended to me storge love because families... As you see in the Bible, read Cain and Abel. A bit dysfunctional. Have you noticed that? A lot, not your family, I mean other people's families. It can only be the blood of Jesus that makes a new family called the Ecclesia, the sent out ones. And as this insecure brummy 
was embraced into a youth group and seen and known and loved, the healing process and restoration began. And so did the call to do this now. That God births families for the lonely, for the broken. And as we join and settle into those families, we begin to learn who we are. Identity is given at the moment we encounter Jesus, the moment that we're filled with the Spirit. But our identity as a family is only done when we practice what it is to be the true family of God. And as we practice what it is to be the true family of God, as we walk in that anointing from the Holy Spirit, and as we become that family, it becomes the most powerful, unstoppable, beautiful thing that has always changed the world. Look in China, they tried to, they tried to stop the church, but it grew. Look in Soviet Union, they tried to stop it. Look in Rome, they tried to stop it, but the family of God is unstoppable. Because the power of God resides when we meet in his name. And when we meet in his name, we are in another place. And the beauty of Jeremiah is that a theologian got hold of it called Augustine of Hippo. And his work began saying that we live in the city of Sheffield. So tomorrow, if you're going to go to work in the city of Sheffield, praise God because we love it. But we are citizens of another city that is to come that we see in Revelation. And as we labor in this city, we are citizens of another place that has the value system that is totally at odds with the world around us. But as we connect to that city, as we connect it to the fact that we're on the family of God, we begin to reach in and reach out to other people around us. They might be saying, they say, well, what time does this new community start? I've got no idea, folks. Luke will work out the details. <laughs> but I do think, as we walk in this season of challenge for so many, that the Spirit of God is saying, go. Reach out to the lost. And you might think, I'm knackered. I'm burned out. And he says, I see you. Like the prodigal father. Maybe you're heartbroken today. And he says, I want to embrace you. Maybe you're a wit's end. And he says, let me fill you with my spirit in a gentle, profound, beautiful way. That is source of the resurrection. And where God's people are, where God's family is, there is always hope because we belong to another place. Let's stand together. I've gone way over time. Sam, come rescue me, brother. When you don't appear, I get worried because I think I'm going to have to get, I'll have to play the guitar. And if you like 90s classics, we'd have a great time. Can I, let's take a moment just to be, just to be still. Maybe you just think, oh, that sounds terrible. <laughs> Ask the Lord to come now. Invite him in to, however you do that. Maybe you want to extend a hand. There's, 
but um, one of the things that strikes me about the vulnerabilities I see that, that Scripture often describes, the, the undergirding of faith, is that the Apostle Paul always says that is the gateway to experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit. That's why Paul boasts in all the stuff he can't do. That's why he talks about weakness. That's why he says, my grace is sufficient for my power is made perfect in weakness. So Holy Spirit, may we not fear vulnerability. But Jesus, may we be mindful that the scriptures say it is the source of stepping into your power. I pray, Jesus, that your gospel of unconditional grace, that you see us and love us, might be manifest in our hearts right now and in this place. In Jesus' name.